Cabin Artists presents The Stephen James Wiley Show Classes there, that way, and I said, all right, this will work. And my roommate was like, oh, you're going to fall in love with theater. You watch. I'm like, no, 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 dude. I'm just using this. I'm just using this as a pathway. Sure enough, you know. It got you. Oh, my God. That, it, the live theater component, um, being a director on that versus a directing on, on, on film is completely different. Uh, it's different emotionally after it's done because there's a different uh, there's a, there's a different way you finish the product, like where you are with it. Um, and my directing mentor was phenomenal where it was like, if you want to direct, you need to understand every department. Uh, you need to stage manage. Like for theater, it's like stage manage. Every famous director um, had uh, their stage, man- they were a stage manager for another famous director. So they were like, that, that basically was a mentoring concept. Cool. So once I finished college and hopped out of college, I, I decided to um, focus primarily on film, got a gig as an intern reading scripts was persistent in calling this production manager to get to work over at Roger Corman Studios as a PA. I just wanted to work as a PA. Just get in, just get in. And then once I got in, because um, I think he just got tired of me calling him, uh, I realized that AD was very similar to a, you, to a stage manager. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the route I go. So I went the AD route um, to start focusing on learning, uh, learning more on set skill-wise. But what wow. it did is it allowed me to also learn the business side of it, which turned me loud. You know, you have to make money. You got to survive. So I was getting little second unit gigs here and there. Um, nothing major. So I was either ADing or UPMing, unit production manager. Mm-hmm. So that's like a level of producing. Um, and that kind of helped me travel. Uh, I had years of traveling in South America, Peru, Wow. Uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, I went to uh, Eastern, all, uh, four different countries in Eastern Europe: Lithuania, Croatia, um, Hungary, several times. Um, and then that just get, kept getting me production-wise a, a really great, solid base. Oh, but yeah. I wasn't getting the opportunities as directing. Um, and then I finally about. <clears throat> About, he's uh, now with COVID, it's, I'm always off the years now. So, I don't know, it's either 10, 10 years or so. Uh, but I went, okay, I've got to stop. I've got to just focus on directing and start turning down work because I just would only get the calls for the other gigs. You know, and being married, having kids, you got to take care of that, yeah. right? So that's your priority. Um, but I needed to do that shift because it was just, you know, starting to take, take a lot toll on me. Did you meet Roger Corman? Oh, I sat in Roger's. I drove Roger's kids. So you were, you were cool. in. You oh were in no, the, in I, as my intern. Yeah, what? Well, part of my intern program with uh, was at his at the office first. That was for free, and then to get a little bit of money, I would drive his kids to school in the morning. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, pick and pick him up from after school. You know, and and then go back to the office and read scripts. What uh, a fascinating yeah, experience! I sat at yeah, been um, sat in his office several times. Once I started UPMing for him and coordinating, you know, yeah. and ading. Um, yeah, and the man is still around. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of us who who 
it was a wonderful time period, and we used to call it the school ground. It was on Venice Boulevard. It was an old lumber yard uh, that he, he had converted into a studio. So cool. Uh, we were shooting, you know, on an average movie for him was the big movies were 15 days. Otherwise, it was 13 to 12 days, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what he, what the, the model was simple is like he would spend the money on building like this one major set in the biggest space we had and then a couple small sets. And then writers literally had to come through and write scripts to that. So that set like would last for a while. Wow. Until then we would turn it over and then there would be a new run of like run of these types of movies, right? That is so cool. Um, we, so Monday through Friday, you would shoot that. And then on Saturday and Sundays, there would be another crew that would shoot other uh, another movie. And those usually were, I think, they call it the eight or ten dayers, mm-hmm. right? So it would be eight days spread over on the weekends. And usually that was where you got the opportunity. Like if you were a PA and you wanted it, like how, how I moved up, I got to, I would work on Saturday and Sunday on another movie as the second second, right? Or as the second and as, as the first and kind of move up. But, you know, you're working seven days a week. Yeah. You're working for like peanuts. And you had a family at the time. No, then I was young. No, no, that's when you were. That's when you could be young and stupid mm-hmm. and work for no money. But probably one of the happiest moments, happiest times of me work wise, because I was just l- learning so much. Um, wow. The it's a P. I was. I had just started really coming like the key PA, one of the main PA guys, and the production manager for the studio said, "Hey." Um, I, we got to do some pickup shots for this one movie this on Sunday. Um, I got really nobody who can be here. Would you open up the studio and and make sure everything's okay? And I go, what do I got to do? And he goes, just open up the studio, set on an alarm, you know, open up the space for them. Just monitor them, make sure that, you know, nothing goes crazy. Call me if something goes wrong. I'm sure it's going to be all fine. And then lock everything down when they're done. And I'm like, all right, sure. That sounds like an easy gig. So I'm thinking I bring a book, right? I come out there and they're building this giant miniature set. And it's this schlonky monster looking thing on the top. And they're going to do all these different shots with it. And there's these two older guys. And of course I get intrigued because I've really had never worked with miniatures before. And I'm really seeing the work and the, the detail that they're doing. And, and also how they're talking to the, the DP and how to shoot it so that it feels real. Right. 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 Uh, in perspective to this giant rubber monster thing that's going in the back. Um, and, you know, they're super nice guys. They're like, hey, where are you from? You know, how did you get here? You know, I'm telling them my story. Not as long as this one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, and they're like, hey, you know what? Stick with it. Stick, Stay here because you can survive and, and learn doing it the Corman way. You can survive about anywhere. You know, and that was like their big thing that they shared with me. And I'm like, oh, all right. I respect it. Don't know who you are. Respect it. And Monday morning, I my boss sees him and goes, how'd it go? And I'm like, super, super easy. It was like, yeah, really nice guys. They were really, really nice. And he goes, you do know who they were, right? And he's like, I'm like, no, who were they? And he goes, those are the Academy Award winning effects artists from Abyss. No way. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> how rad is that? Right. So, you know, ignorance is bliss. Because I was chatting away with them like they were just... Yeah. Anybody, right? So cool. Yeah. So Corman has that come up, not that that type of a I wouldn't call it power, but influence of where he has started so many careers 
there they were constantly during the years we were there there was constantly people coming of huge fame coming down to do a favor you know i mean he's even in godfather too he's one of, he's the senator because coppola worked to went went up the ranks in there yeah. He's the senator. He's the senator. He's one of the senators in the in the in the in the uh, in the in the Michael scenes when they're talking to him. He's not the guy. He's in not Tahoe. the main guy. No, okay. not the main guy. He's he's at he's at the at the, on the uh, panel on the panel on the panel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, okay. What? Just curious. What was an average budget for his movies? Oh, um, back then in the days, a high end was three hundred thousand okay that's the high end so inflation adjusted what's that nine hundred thousand now no there's still people making three hundred thousand <laughs> well that's true and everything's cheaper now <laughs> yeah so uh no it was it but it was tight i mean that was tight money right you know okay um and also those were all non-union days right. you know except for the actors everything was always sag mm-hmm. but all the crew were non-union and stuff like that so the hours were because his whole shtick his his path he carved was super independent just oh yeah nobody told him what to do oh no and he, and he yeah and you know the story of the first his first film right i don't the little shop of horrors so he was an assistant for a producer um and they were shooting they were shooting a movie and he was looking at the set and he really liked the set and he goes like when are you guys gonna tear down this set and the producer was nice enough to say to him well why he goes well I think I can shoot a movie on here. And he goes, all right, I'll give you a week wow. before I tear it down. And they like went off and shot that like right away, you know? Um, and he wrote something just for it. For it. And this, exactly. Now it follows the model that he had, right? right. Uh, I mean, this is back in the day. His, the, a lot of his, you can, there's a great book. His, he's got a biography and I forget the title of it. Um, but it tells a lot of these stories. I mean, they would look at, they would somehow through the trades hear about some movie coming up, right? So let's call it. Uh, um, oh, I remember with the uh, uh, the Sean Connery movie with the submarine, uh, Red Red Red, Red October, October, right? Yeah. So there was already story talk about that, and there was always come, already a visual for that. It was like the the that cover that everybody eventually sees, and his company catches wind of it, so they just create like. <clears throat> Like three or four or five films that we shoot, like in in a couple of you know a couple of months really? pre Red Hot October, similar you know some kind of storyline with submarine boats and whatever, um, and then copy very similar looking uh, art because you got to remember this is the VHS days, yes, right? Yes. And the, and if you remember, you just go down the aisle and you're like, oh, oh, I, I, I this looks interesting, right? Yes. So if you're seeing pictures of Sean Connery over Hollywood Boulevard in the whole Red Hot October, and you're like, that's going to subliminally go, you're going to go, oh, let me rent this one. And that's how that, you know, that's a lot. I mean, there was a lot of thought out way on how to market and and work off of other things that are already happening in larger Hollywood. Mm -hmm. In your opinion, as you observe the landscape as we know it now, is there... Because there's a lot of independent filmmakers doing their thing now. I don't. Is there a Corman type man or woman doing things right now that have with that rhythm, that tempo, where you know he created his own mini studio. He he had a whole rhyme and method to his I, madness. I'm not aware of it, but I'm sure there is. Okay. Um, and I mean, uh, 
oh shoot, what was it? Tra- trauma. Uh, I believe it's trauma in New York. I still I think it, it still exists. Okay. You know, um, and I'm sure there is somewhere. I actually, you know what? Now that I talked to somebody, I just ran into a friend of mine who she was working on a project in North Carolina, and it's and it happened to be some effects artists that I had worked with at Corman, and I think they're trying to do a similar thing. They have a big warehouse space, a yeah. space that they can do. And they're creating films and putting them out there. I don't know if they're churning them that quickly. Right. Um, I think you're also going to get you're into a, pos- a place now where people, rightfully so, will say no. This is abusive work hours. Right. 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 You know, and not do that because he was just running a twenty four seven. Oh yeah, but we were dumb enough to we didn't even question it. Right. You know, so it's not really his fault. We were like, all right, whatever it's gonna take, we're gonna do this, right? Yeah. You know, um, but I think that now I think people are much smarter because it takes a toll on your body and on your mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, we had a, we were lucky enough to have a um, a great guy, John Winfrey, who was our UP, our one of our head UPMs down there, and he had the tap out, and you would basically get tapped out and go. You're out this next movie, but you knew you had a job to come back to. Yeah. He just wanted you to go away and you rest for three. Yeah, go rest for three weeks. You need to tap out. Okay, you know, and that that so that kind of a machine component. Um, I don't think I don't think I hope to God it doesn't still exist. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I think the mentality and that concept. I think I'm sure it does. I'm sure down in Los Angeles. I'm sure you can look for it. and You can find it. I'm sure like a lot of these lower smaller companies. That you're going to see things that are um, that are extremely low budge um, genre based right. products, right? I guess the means of distribution are so different that, like, it was a big deal that you could get your movie into Hastings or Blockbuster, right? I mean, the VHS market was what really boomed that independent kind of comp- component. You didn't right. have to. And um, I even had a discussion when I first moved up here with someone because they were always complaining that the, a lot of the films that were being done in Spokane, they never got a, uh, a theatrical release. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Right. The reality is the meat of the market, that's the 1%. The right. meat of the market is was in, D, in, in VHS, DVD, and then it turned into, what was it, uh, uh, um, direct direct. We 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 uh, what was it called? It was uh, oh, like the VOD. Yeah, VOD. Yeah, like a VOD, right? So that was that became bread and butter. Right. That was simple bread and butter. So, you know, you keep your budget, you keep your budget to a scale, and then and then get it in there. And the more views you get, you're gonna get, you're gonna make your money. Right. Right. Um, but I think it's getting harder. Well, the streaming component has completely changed the model. There's no quick math equation to run that says, oh, we can make this. And then we can put it out here and it brings in potentially X amount of money because I don't even know what people get to put their money, their movie. I mean, you've directed a feature film or more than one. Yeah. And and it's on one of them I watched on Amazon. Yeah. And I think it, it's been on Amazon. I mean, and I, and I, I still they're still working on getting their money back. Right. Right. It's slow. It's less money. Right. Yeah. I mean, the golden calf is or cow, whichever it is. They right? both work. They, as they long work. as it's golden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, is that is is getting is being a low budget film, and you take good examples of it, like Napoleon Dynamite, right? Right. Take a low budget film, um, get it on, on on the big screen, and it's successful. 
So you're definitely going to make your you're going to make that money back, right? right. Um, you know the problem is when you get when you're into like the you know hundred million dollar movies and they need to try to make their money back on the screens. So that's it's almost like a different type of pressure, right? Already set up there. Yeah. And if you don't hit those opening number weekends, that those numbers you need to hit on opening weekend, they're already calculating. Okay, this is a loss, right? Right. Um, so there's still a, I still believe there's a big desire to try to get your your small film up on a screen. Yes. You know, and and maybe you hit lightning in the bottle. Right. Right. Um, uh, but also. As an independent filmmaker nowadays, you have this, right. which means your material can be much more accessible and it could create a bigger buzz for you. Now, it doesn't mean financial success all the time, but it definitely can get more visibility than than in the past. Yeah. Right? You, it, it, you almost have to look at each individual project as a, uh, the building of a foundation that can slowly rise enough to be visible. Yep. And yep. then <clears throat> maybe potentially graduate to things that make money. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you are a director, first and foremost. Would you say that? Yes. Do you write as well, though? I do. Okay. Uh, more out of necessity, mm -hmm. you know, because either I can't find something that I want to do, or sometimes there's stories like I have a story. But I, I, I also don't mind writing something and giving it to someone and having them help me make it better. Right. And I feel, I feel really my strength is not as a writer, but as the director who can collaborate really well with writers mm -hmm. um, and kind of push the envelope a little bit with them, yeah. you know, and still stay, stay true to the, to the core or the essence of what, of the story that they're trying to tell. I think that's really my strength. And I think that comes from a lot of the theater stuff that I've done. And I still do that. I actually do that a locally here in Spokane um, for the Spokane um, uh, Playwrights Lab where they're new writers. Uh, they're not new writers, but they're playwrights with new material and we're doing like a, a, a staged reading of it. So working with a new writer and, and I ask a lot of questions, you know, and usually the questions I'm asking is because I know I'm going to get that question from the actor. And then I think that asking those questions helps shape that piece to become stronger. Mm -hmm. And I've had some really good... Um, pleasurable experiences you know with that which actually transitions beautifully to um what we did together was you <clears throat> directed the short film that molly allen and i wrote and exactly that you were incredibly collaborative um do you remember how that got started for us yeah okay because i don't totally remember <laughs> you Molly and you called me to see if I would read another script you guys had and help you. That was it. Help you because it was you were getting some notes back, which you thought I might be able to help you. It was, it was more technical notes and the formatting and stuff like that. Okay. So uh, I had read that script and we were looking it over, and we, the three of us, got excited about the story. And I said, like, all right, here I'll help you with some, but here's some here's some rec some suggestions on some character stuff and this, this, and you guys like that. And then we all kind of got excited about that. I'm like, all right, let's kind of, kind of continue working on this. And I went, you know, guys, I do want to shoot a short. I, I kind of want to use a short right now because I got some free time, but I'm looking for something on the, on, on the lighter side. Uh, cause my real primarily because of 
directing Z Nation for five years, and um, and most of the other stuff that I did second unit directing is all action based or horror or stuff like that. So, and I had just come off of doing the 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 romantic comedy that you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, uh, Home Sweet Home, uh, which I did purposely right after Z Nation because like I gotta change tones. I want to make sure that I don't get pigeonholed in one look, right? Um, so I'm like, all right, cool. And I had met with people, and they had said uh, that um, it would be good to have a comedy in there. I had already have a comedy in my portfolio, but I like slapstick comedy. I'm like huge fan of Charlie Chaplin, The Stooges. I mean, Buster Keaton. I just love that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it and it's the one where it's character based, and it's not just like happening out of the blue, like yeah. some of the later '80s '80s kind of movies. Um, so I asked you guys if you guys had a comedy, and you both looked at each other, and you go, "Yeah, we have a we have one." And you like it literally was like a one line pitch: is this guy who's seeing his mom and his neighbor next door is topless sunbathing. I'm like, let me read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and you guys sent it over, and I was I was laughing out loud at you know what yeah. you guys had sent over. And I'm like, okay, is it just me? Is it me just because I want this to work? So I sent it to a couple other friends to read, and they went, oh, my God, this is so funny. And I'm like, all right, cool. It's not just me. It's real. Let's go. Let's Sweet. Yeah. So came back to you guys and asked you guys if we could do it. Awesome. And we went forward, and last is about a year ago, uh, September of 2022. Yeah. We got together, shot that with our friend Don Hamilton. Correct. And he was lovely. And everyone, everyone on that was really fun to work with. Um, and it was all new for me because I'd never actually been on a film set, and um, and actually I'm you know right now I'm we're kind of celebrating it because we've we did really well in our festival run. Yeah, I think um, we did very well, and, and and I'm proud of it. And it also to go back to you said that like you know the the folks were really lovely. That was kind of um that was an important component too for me because there was a couple of reasons besides wanting to expand my portfolio. I wanted to attack something differently than I normally do, meaning directing style wise, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to just work with people that I liked to be around with. Yeah. And Don Hamilton and I, for years, have always tried to figure out how to work together. He cracks me up, drives me up the wall sometimes, but he still cracks me up. He's awesome. You know, but I adore him and I adore everybody at the studio there Lorna, Matt, you know, Hannah. Um, so it was like, oh, that's great. Let's make it with this little group that's almost, you know, almost family-like. Uh, introduce them. Let's introduce ourselves to a couple new people, right? Um, and that, I think, was what made it possible is it was just such a lovely experience with everybody on set. Oh, yeah. I Well, for me. And well, even, all- and even Offset, even the guys we brought in for post stuff. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't have any point of reference, so hopefully I never have anything that is worse because it was so fun <laughs> right um i wanted to go through just uh we were i forgot to include we were what was the garland the spokane festival we were in was it the spokane comedy festival the spokane comedy festival. yeah and did we did they hand out awards was it more just you were uh they were supposed to but i don't think they ever they ever that. said anything well it was but a nice night it was a nice night and it was a nice compliment but also kind of like a kick in the butt for us in a way. Cause they're like, I'm like, I got there and I remember seeing the guy, Hey, thank you so much for taking it. And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. 
we're using you guys as our closer because you're one of the best. And I'm like, oh, man. It was a long night, too. <laughs> like, Dude, it's like two and a half hours long. No, why the closer? <laughs> it's like the one time you don't want to be the closer. <laughs> you just hope people stayed. Yeah. But um, we were in nine other festivals, and we won three awards so yep. far, and uh, four semifinalists, including Hamburg, Germany. We're international. And then uh, official selection in Oakland, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul International Film Festival. Um, I have no point of reference, but from what I've read and understand, that's like we did really well. We did pretty good. I mean, for a short little film. Yeah. You also got to understand that, you know, we're at a time time in storytelling where people are looking for pungent stories, deeper meanings. Sure. Um, uh, political statements. Yeah. <laughs> and that was none of those. <laughs> none of us. <laughs> not us. It was purely fun and silly. That's yeah. all it was, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I hopefully that's refreshing. Well, it's like, well, it's like I was telling you before we went on the air, I got this email. Like, oh, please, we uh, send your film to us. You know, We'll give you 50% discount for the festival. Yes. And I just wanted to look up. Well, all right, let me look at the festival. And it's a, and it's a great festival. But it's about BIPOC and, and themes that are of today's importance. You know, that's really what their drive is. I'm like, did you guys even look at our film? Because <laughs> <laughs> we ain't that. This is frosting, man. This is not. But, and even that bad, that bad frosting you buy in the container. <laughs> this is grocery store frosting. At the dollar store. At the dollar store. It's been there a while. Yes. It's the age old topic of boobs. <laughs> And, it, and mom and moms and sons and moms and sons, yeah, yeah. And I, I haven't, I haven't said what the it was called. Good neighbors, look it up. It's on uh, stephenjameswiley.com. It's on Facebook. It is on Vimeo. Um, nine and a half minutes of pure glory. Um, and actually, know. it's it's locked on Vimeo right now because we're also, I believe, we. We haven't got the official word, but we applied it to Spiff. Oh, seriously? Yeah. And to apply it to Spiff, they sent me a letter back that I had to lock. I had to lock the Vimeo so you can only get it with a code. Oh, so okay. not on Vimeo right now okay. uh, until that. Until that. So hopefully, I mean, I'm hoping that means we get accept. We got accepted. That would be If rad. they're telling me to lock it. Well, and I feel dumb because I meant to submit it to Sundance and I just skipped my mind, you know, along with the other 20,000 movies that yeah. are submitted to Sundance. Sundance. But we would have stood out. <laughs> Um, well, this is wonderful, my friend. Um, it's, I don't know. It's just fun to hear your story, your, your journey to where you are, because you're kind of in your prime, if I might be so bold as to say that, like you've, all of your journey has led to this. You've hit a lot of heights and it seems like you are kind of in full flex. And so it's fun to watch and be a part of that because you have so much um, that you are able to offer people who don't know what they're doing like me and um, and you're helping other filmmakers uh, all the way through the Spoken Film Project. I assume you're a part of that. And, yep. and you, I know you're on panels and things helping folks kind of get educated on different aspects of the business. So you kind of have a mentoring uh, 
energy going on to what you're doing in addition to what you do every day anyway. Is that exciting for you to kind of have that element in your work? That's a, that's a, a must. That was kind of, I have four people that I feel like were my mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they each mentor me in different ways and different aspects. But the one thing that they made very clear is I'm, I'm mentoring you now. You need to pass this on. Mm-hmm. And that, to their credit, that's why I do it. Because I still feel like I owe them. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to pay back them by passing it forward. So that it's it's embedded in me that way, you know. Um, And um, and as as you get in your prime, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Like I said, it's a hot, you know, Juan's a hot mess. The journey's been a hot mess. It's been ups and downs. It's, you know, it's been all over. But I wouldn't change anything because it, it, it's what's put me where I'm at now, both in a creative state, in a mental state, and just as a, as a person, as a human being, you know, it's gotten me to where I'm at, which I'm hoping I can then pass some of those things on to somebody else, you know, either by working with them or um or being part of panels yeah no i do i serve on a lot of boards i'm on the sfp board spokane film project uh i'm actually one of its of the i think there was 10 of us who came up with the concept who worked on it for a couple for like a year um i serve on the education committee and community impact community so the advocacy stuff and a lot of the education panel stuff that we create um i I uh, was a co-creator uh, co- uh, creator or programmer or whatever you want to call it, a 50-hour slam with five out of the guys, which, again, was very educationally based. Mm-hmm. You know, people enjoy the festival, but there was also an educational component all throughout that. Uh, and it was also trying to get filmmakers to m- mingle and interact with other artists of other art forms. So we constantly did that for 10 years, and that was really the goal to kind of infuse the um, – the community. And I think I, I, and maybe because maybe not everyone's this way, but like I get creatively stimulated and active by other people's work. I go to a museum and the museum inspires me not. And it's not directly like, Oh, I want to do a movie or a story about this statue. Right. But it, it, it just inspires you. Right. Um, so when I see good work, be it paintings, art, uh, uh, spoken word performances, musicians, whatever that inspires me to do work. So I would hope that if you start interacting with these other artists in these other mediums, you find inspiration for things that way together, you know? Yeah. Is the 50 hour slam still going? It went, um, well, there's a, they're, they're getting together to figure that out to see if it continues. If it continues. I think I'm going to slow. I'm definitely going to step back a little bit. Because I want other things I want to try to do. Um, I also want to focus a little bit more on youth. Um, so I'm also like on the uh, advisory board for the video production stuff for School District 81 CTE program. So we just had a meeting. Cool. You know, so like the ideas of, of how do you get the youth introduced to it? How do you get them into a workflow program, into a work, work source programming? Um, how do you help the ones that might not go to a, 
aren't the kind who are going to go to a four-year college. So how do, how, what's their path? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot of more choices nowadays that, um, that people have that I personally don't feel I had as a kid growing up, you know, it's like, it was, this was the path you had to take. Um, and that's not true anymore. And I think that it's important to, to make sure, because I mean, I got lucky my parent that I got influenced about the movies and stuff, but there are, kids who all they know is what their mom and dad does so that's what they know and so to expand beyond what what your family does to to be exposed to things and in a bigger in a richer sense right Mm -hmm. yeah um and and hopefully to change change the uh the generations generational thinking of oh you're an artist uh yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't care what it is. I, and I use the term artist as, as a general term, right? Cause like you're a comedian, Ooh, you know, you're, oh, yeah. you're a writer. Ooh, you know, uh, um, and it's just because that's, that's the, what's been ingrained into us society wise yeah. and hopefully getting people to start looking at it differently who are soon to become parents. So that when their kids pop that up, they're like, no, no. All right. How do I support this? And how do I get them the materials that they need to succeed? Love it. Dang, that's beautiful. In, in light of that, kind of to take us out, what would you say, what is um, kind of something you would offer to artists who are starting their journey? What would be uh, some advice? <laughs> the uh, Probably the second best advice I ever got on my first PA job, driving David Carradine to set. Really? Yeah. Uh, he was a he was a really nice guy. He was a really nice man, and and I would my one of my jobs was pick him up in the morning, drive him to set, and then take him home at the end of the day. Uh, and then otherwise during the day, I was working as a normal PA on set. But um, he said, "There's only one failure in this business: the one who gave up." 